This is Avery After Dark, and as always, I am your host, Avery Ross. Today we're talking about a case that unfolded just a few years ago, the Black Widower case. Beforehand, I wanted to let all of you know that if you want more stories, head over to the Avery After Dark YouTube channel. Linking that in the show notes, but head on over and enjoy. I post new episodes of my series, Tell Me a Scary Story, which is compilations of short, scary stories for your viewing pleasure. So go subscribe and enjoy. And if you're digging this podcast, be sure to give it a good review and a rating on Apple Podcasts. It really helps so much. Thank you guys. So today's case is shocking for a number of reasons, as you'll hear. And at the center of it all is Tony and Harold Henthorne. They had been married for about 12 years and had a young daughter named Haley. But let's go back to the start. Who was Tony? Before meeting Harold... Tony Bertolet was a very well-known and well-liked ophthalmologist who lived in Jackson, Mississippi. That's where her friends and family all lived as well, and they were a very close, tight-knit unit. Her patients loved her as a doctor. They said that she was kind and really took the time to get to know you and cared about her patients. Her colleagues also loved her and said that she just had a great energy, she loved her work, And she made a good living. Her family also had oil and gas investments, so Tony began collecting on that every month. And those checks could be anywhere from $2,000 to $20,000. So that, along with her practice, she was doing quite well. But Tony felt unlucky in love. She was married before, but it ended in divorce. They just drifted apart. So she has this successful medical practice and made great money, had a close family unit, a lot of friends, but she was missing a partner in life. That was until Tony met Harold Henthorne. They met on a Christian online dating website in late 1999. He said he was a wealthy fundraiser for hospitals and churches and nonprofits. They were both these Christians. He, like Tony, had been married before and was looking for love again. He was clean-cut, he was charming, wore a suit. So the two began a romance, and when Harold met Tony's family, he came to them with a lot of promises. He told them that he was so rich and he had so much money that Tony wouldn't even have to work again if she didn't want to. Tony's family already had money, so this wasn't a big swaying factor, but they just wanted to see her in love and happy. But after a bit, Tony's family began noticing some strange things about Harold. Most notably, Harold was starting to show this possessive side over Tony, taking control of her life. But they got married only nine months later because they both really wanted to have a child. And after two years of trying, they had a daughter, Haley, and Harold was really excited to be a dad. Over the course of the relationship, Tony's mom and dad, the Bertolets, noted watching a significant change in their daughter. Before Harold, Tony was confident and very assertive. She grew up with two brothers, so she could really hold her own. But she was changing. She became much more submissive, and after a few years of marriage, Harold convinces Tony that the two should up and move to Denver, Colorado, as that's where he was from. This would obviously take Tony away from her practice, her family, her friends, everything. She would essentially be leaving her entire life behind, but Harold told her that he just didn't see a future in Mississippi. So they moved. Tony closes out her practice and starts up a new one in Colorado. 
when they leave, there are a lot of promises that they'll come back and visit a lot. It's not a big deal. But after the move, Harold's controlling behavior is only amplifying and becoming even more worrisome. His behavior on the phone is notably strange. Bizarre. If a family member would call Tony, Harold had to be in the room listening. She couldn't even speak to her own mother on the phone without Harold there. So meaning, if a family member called wanting to chat with Tony, Harold would pick up and place them on speakerphone and then do most of the talking. Tony could be overheard faintly in the background of the calls, like she was in the next room or something. That's one big waving red flag. And they weren't coming back to visit Mississippi like they had promised. Harold didn't want to travel back to Mississippi, so if the Bertolets wanted to see their granddaughter, Haley, they had to get on a plane and go to them, which was difficult because Tony's parents were getting much older. With Haley, I think everyone hoped that this would bring Tony happiness, having a daughter, but things only really got worse because the control Harold seemed to demand over Tony extended to Haley as well. Harold planned and controlled every one of Haley's days and nights and made it clear to everyone that he was the one that was in charge. He also would not allow Tony to put Haley to bed at night and told her that that hour before Haley fell asleep was his, quote, daddy-daughter time. Friends and family found it strange that long after Haley ceased to be a baby, he continued watching his daughter and kept a video monitor running in his daughter's room. This is all very disturbing. Over time, Tony's family knew that she was unhappy in the marriage, but stated that she was probably more hopeful and determined to make it work since she had already been divorced and they shared a daughter. Things weren't adding up with the family's finances either. Tony mentioned that when she would look at their bank accounts, Harold wasn't bringing in a ton of money as he had bragged to everyone. Quite the opposite, actually. She seemed to be the breadwinner in the family. So Harold was sitting pretty. The Bertolets had been really generous to Tony and Harold and gifted them a half a million dollars for a down payment on their house in Colorado, cars, new appliances, and for anything else the couple needed. So Harold really had it made. The family obviously voiced their concerns to Tony about Harold. And her family said, you know, we're going to say something to him. This is not right. And every time, Tony would just respond with, if you do that... I'll suffer the consequences. This meant that Harold did not like to be questioned about anything that he did. If Harold decided that they needed a new car, boom, a car is purchased that day. Obviously one that he liked and wanted. But if Tony would mention an appliance in the kitchen wasn't working or notice something else that needed fixing in the home, they would have to deliberate this for hours until Tony was so emotionally drained by the argument that she would just give up. This is an extremely hard and aggravating place to be in for friends and family. I'm sure we've all been there. When a loved one is in a controlling or abusive relationship, it's hard. You want to tell them, run, get out. But it's so difficult for that person to hear you sometimes if they don't want to hear it. And if you push too hard, you may end up fracturing the relationship with that person that you care so much for. So you may be asking, why would Tony put up with this? She's got money. It sounds like her family would back her up. The truth is that an individual won't leave a bad relationship for a million different reasons. 
But one underlying theme in a lot of these situations is that the abuser almost always has mentally and emotionally broken someone down so much that the person doesn't feel like they can leave. The abuser has torn them down little by little for days, and in Tony's case, years. They're told that nobody else will want them, or my personal favorite, that all the problems are actually your fault. This is an abuser's go-to, gaslighting you until you don't even know what the truth is anymore. And multiple witnesses said they saw and heard on numerous occasions that Harold, if he was angry at Tony, would threaten divorce. So, aka, toe the line and do what I say or I'm going to leave you. Another big reason was Tony's religion. I mentioned that she was Christian. You know, you're told that you are not supposed to get divorced. You're supposed to work it out. And another huge reason why someone will stay in a relationship is for the children. Nobody wants to give up their children 50% of the time. So that's also a huge, huge reason for a lot of people. Harold has completely isolated Tony from her friends and her family, her support system. And this wasn't because he didn't like Mississippi or, quote, didn't see a future there. This move is from the abuser handbook. It's all heavily calculated on his end. He knows he's in complete control here. And now a quick word from today's sponsors. We're back with Avery After Dark. So in Colorado, the couple had a babysitter who would be in charge of watching Haley every Thursday because Harold always had to work. He had flights to catch and was very adamant that he had to go. But the babysitter noted that things weren't adding up with this. She thought he was full of it because he'd say, oh, I have a flight to catch at 3 p.m., but he wouldn't leave the house until 4. You know it's bad when the teenage babysitter knows that you're full of it. So it's time we talk about a pretty important incident. While Tony and Harold were living in Colorado, there was something that happened that was a pretty stark foreshadowing of things to come. Something that left Tony in the hospital recovering for days. And that would be the cabin incident. So this is what happened. One weekend, Harold and Tony were at their little cabin house in the mountains west of Denver. They brought Haley out, and one night after Haley went to sleep... I guess Harold tore himself away from the baby monitor long enough to ask Tony to come help him out front. So she walks outside, and while she's standing underneath their porch with her back turned, she feels something heavy hit her neck and knock her to the ground. This something heavy was a huge wooden beam that Harold said, quote-unquote, accidentally fell on her. She is rushed to the hospital. And doctors agree that the only reason she's even still alive was because at the last second she leaned down to pick something up off the ground. Tony recovered in the hospital, and this beam actually fractured her spinal cord. And what was Harold's response when Tony's family found out about this? He said, oh, that? Oh, that was nothing. After this, Tony's mother flat out tells her that she doesn't think that her daughter should be alone with Harold anymore. Motherly instinct warnings had been going off for a while. And notably, as it always goes, Harold had a multi-million dollar life insurance policy payout. If anything happened to Tony. Actually, a few policies. $1.5 million apiece. One of these was a trust that was supposed to just go to Haley, but he removed Haley from the policy and made himself 
the sole beneficiary. Tony's family feared that she would end up dead at the hands of Harold, and a few months later, their fears came true. On September 29th, 2012, Harold surprises Tony with a romantic and rigorous hike in the Rocky Mountain National Park for their 12th wedding anniversary weekend. This hike was pretty meticulously planned, and it set off alarm bells for Tony's office assistant. When she heard of this, she said, what? She said that Tony had really bad knees. Would she go out for a walk? Sure. But she would not go out and do a hike like this. This wasn't something that she would choose to do. But at 1.45 p.m., the two set out on this trail. It was actually called Deer Mountain Trail, and it's a loop about six miles long. And Harold and Tony made their way up the mountain, higher and higher. They'd make it to a lookout where other people on the trail were gathered, when Harold would say, uh, no, let's go another way. He really wanted them to go off the trail, taking the two on a more remote path. Harold really wants to find this one specific lookout. Next thing we know, Harold calls 911 saying there's been a horrible accident. His wife of 12 years, Tony, has fallen off a cliff. As he's calling 911 during this, he's also texting Tony's older brother, Barry, who is a cardiologist. He's telling Barry that Tony fell off a cliff, landed on some rocks. What should I do? Blah, blah, blah. And obviously Barry begins trying to call him frantically, but he says that his battery is low, so he can't really talk on the phone, but he can text. Although this is never verified. He said that it took him 45 minutes to get down to Tony where she landed. Tony fell 120 something feet into a very desolate area. He said he's giving her CPR and moves her body to more level ground to try and help her. But because of how remote the area is, where Tony's body was, it takes rescuers quite a while to reach her. When a ranger finally makes it to Tony and Harold after two hours, he walked up and noted that Tony was lying on the ground, lifeless. And when Harold saw emergency services walking up, he jumps up and runs over to his wife. So he had not been sitting with her. And right off the bat, this is strange. And it had taken the ranger so long because they had to A, locate them, B, drive all the way up the mountain and then park and then walk the 90 minutes up the trail. So it was just a very difficult task. And that ranger finds that Tony is dead. After more police arrive, they take a note of the scene and find that Tony has a really bad head wound. And also note it looks like she fell head first, but the autopsy never confirms this. They also note her hand. On her wedding ring, the diamond is missing. Not the entire ring, just the diamond. Her hand is not badly injured, and they can't find this diamond anywhere. Notably, it's worth about $30,000. And since this happened on federal land, the FBI gets on the case, as well as police, and Harold is obviously suspicious to them from the start. Because Harold has quite a few different versions of what happened that day. He tells Barry, Tony's brother, that on the hike he was walking ahead of his wife because Tony was really lagging, when suddenly he turned around and she wasn't there. He looked over the cliff and saw that she had fallen. He tells another park ranger a completely different story, that Tony was taking a picture of him in front of the cliff when she slipped, and then says, well, no, it was actually because she got a phone call, and when I looked back up, she was gone. And then he says, 
Well, no, actually what happened was she got a phone call and then handed me the phone and then she slipped and fell. Good heavens. Not only are these completely different versions of what happened, Tony did not have her cell phone on her that day. She had left it at the office. So not only was he obviously lying, the lies weren't even well thought out. And he will show up to Tony's office that next Monday morning after she died on the dot and asked for Tony's phone. He was very quick to get this phone and very quick to have a funeral. At the detest of Tony's family, Harold has Tony quickly cremated and the funeral is five days later. He isn't wasting any time at all. It's quick and please note that this funeral is planned out. Matching flowers, he didn't need any help planning it. He had this funeral completely set up which is a very strange for someone whose wife died so suddenly. A long illness, sure, that funeral has probably been planned for a while, but this is very telling. Tony's family requested that she be brought back to Mississippi, where her family was and where her friends are to be buried. And he says no. And he goes on to sprinkle Tony's ashes on a mountain, this one specific spot. Also afterwards, Harold gets word from these investigators that they can't find that diamond from her ring. And how strange that was. They tell them that they've looked all over the area, looked through the brush, the terrain, and that diamond is nowhere to be found. Harold says, oh. And the next time investigators go to check out the crime scene, there's the diamond. Impossible to miss. Lying right there in front of them. Almost like someone came back and placed it there. This really gives them that feeling that Harold knows they're suspicious of him, so he went back and left it there to be found. And another really damning discovery was a map found in Harold's car of the trail. On it is a big pink X drawn very close to where Tony died. They ask Harold about this X, and he really has no explanation for it. And now another quick word from today's sponsors. You're back with Avery After Dark. On November 4th, 2014, Harold Henthorne is arrested. Two years after Tony died, this was a long time coming. There had been so much suspicion around him during this time. Tony's family had been calling police with information. They told them about their fears, how controlling Harold was. Tony's co-workers, who really loved her, were also very suspicious of Harold. They told police that they didn't believe that she really wanted to go home some nights. Usually after working all day, people are thrilled to go home, relax, kick up their feet, see their families. But Tony, not so much. Her work assistants noticed that she would just kind of linger around the office after the day was done. When she had finished all of her work, she wasn't in a rush to go back to Harold. She would often stay late and just play games on her computer in her office. And this makes me really sad and says a lot. The two had a seven-year-old daughter at the time, so just a very sad situation. Along with these tips from people who knew Tony personally, news networks in the Colorado area that were airing stories on the case were getting a lot of tips as well. One anonymous tip that piqued the interest of a journalist said, Check out how Harold's first wife died. I mentioned Harold had been married before. Well, that one ended with his wife suffering a horrible, fatal accident. And come to find out, after his first wife's death, 
he scattered her ashes in the exact same spot as Tony's. Both Tony and her family were aware of the fact that Harold was married before to a woman named Lynn. He really didn't talk much about what happened to Lynn, but made fleeting comments that she had died in a car accident. And again, he had a couple different stories of what happened, as he always does. Mr. Can't pick a story and stick to it. One version of what happened was he said he was sleeping in the car as Lynn was driving one night and they were in an accident. Another version was that a car door swung out and smacked Lynn in the head, striking her and killing her. But all of these stories were made up. This is what actually happened according to police documents. Harold and his first wife, Lynn, were out for a drive one evening when he felt that one of their Jeep's front tires was mushy. Not flat, but low on air, so he decides he must pull over right that second, and they do. They put the Jeep up on a jack so he can change the tire. Shortly after this, a car full of people drive past and see that there's been a horrible accident. Lynn is underneath the Jeep, crushed. They run over trying to help and start trying to pull her out from underneath the vehicle. When they do this, Harold gets very annoyed with them. He says, stop, don't touch her. The group also noted that it was a very cold night and Harold didn't put a jacket over her or try to cover her up at all. And the group of people were actually the ones who ended up covering her up as they felt so bad. Lynn ended up dying. She was suffocated under that 3,000 pound vehicle on top of her. Harold told police when they arrived that he was changing the tire and she was out there helping him, holding on to the lug nuts when one dropped and landed underneath the car. She supposedly dropped down, crawled underneath the car when the jack suddenly gave out and the car rolled on top of her. What kind of bona fide loser has their wife out there on all fours crawling underneath their car. This is such a huge no-no for anyone and everyone. You never ever climb under a car when it can roll back up on top of you. That's why when mechanics will work on the front of a car, they will jack it up at an angle that if the car were to roll off, it would roll backwards and away from them. Nothing about this scene made any sense. And at the scene, police note a shoe print on the fender where the jack was almost as if someone had kicked the car. So what do police do with this investigation? Nothing, because there isn't an investigation. I suppose they didn't find any of this suspicious and ruled her death as accidental. They don't test this shoe print against Harold. They don't take those witness statements seriously. The witnesses that stated Harold was annoyed when they were trying to help. They don't even test that carjack to see if it was faulty. Harold says this is an accident, the coroner says, yep, it was an accident, and the case is closed in six days. Today, police said they would have done things differently, and this case doesn't look like an accident to them, but it's too little too late in this case. One of those witnesses that came and tried to help that night followed up with police afterwards, called and asked, is that man in jail yet? What are you going to do about this? She was highly suspicious, and she knew what she saw, and to this day in interviews, she knows that this was no accident. All the while, Harold was sitting pretty, with a $400,000 life insurance policy payout that he took out on Lynn. So he was living the good life. 
Police had also later found out that he had taken out a life insurance policy on a sister-in-law of Lynn's as well. I guess just in case she died too, playing the waiting game. It's insane. It's also found out that Harold didn't even have a job. He was lazy. He went to school to be a geologist, which I guess he did for a hot second. And then he moved on to the life insurance game, it looks like. But this guy did not have a job, which, let's be honest, his job sounded made up from the beginning. I'm a wealthy man who fundraises for hospitals and nonprofits and charities. All the while, he's having his wife and her family pay for everything and support him. Give me a break. He was a gold digger. And with Tony, he obviously saw that she was independent, well off. He found her and conned his way into her life. So you may be wondering, okay, then where was he all of those weekends when he said he had to travel? He said he was going on these big work trips and told the babysitter he had a flight to catch. Police track his phone records and bank statements to find that he was at Panera Bread Co. That's where he was going every Thursday. He would go and eat, hang out, waste time, all to feed this lie that he was this rich businessman. When the entire time he was just over there eating a bowl of broccoli cheddar soup. With all this information, it's just disgusting that all the while to Lynn and Tony, his wives, he showboated himself as this Christian man, this upstanding Christian person. Please. Eventually, Tony's case goes to trial, and both Lynn's family and Tony's family are awaiting a guilty verdict, solidarity for both families. And although there was an overwhelming amount of circumstantial evidence, there isn't much to prove that Harold shoved Tony that day. There's no physical evidence, so this is the defense's main angle. On the other hand, the prosecution does bring to light the cabin incident, the beam quote-unquote falling on her, and they also bring up Lynn's case, his first wife dying in such a suspicious way. In total, the trial only lasts for 10 days. The jury goes in to deliberate and does a raise of hands. Who thinks Harold is guilty? Everyone raised their hands. Harold is found guilty of first-degree murder in Tony's case and is sentenced to life in prison without parole. He, of course, appeals this. He says that his attorney screwed him over on purpose. Enough, man. No one believes a word that comes out of his mouth. And when looking at Harold, there has been speculation. Was he a murderer? Or was he a serial killer? As per a serial killer, he had an MO with downtime in between killings. He had this set up. Find a woman, date her, marry her, take out a life insurance policy, and then kill her in some type of scenario that appears to be an accident. He was married to both Lynn and Tony for 12 years. He had them both cremated, scatters their ashes in the exact same spots, and then moves on to his next victim. It seems he got very cocky after he got away with Lynn's murder and felt that he was going to get away with it again with Tony. And there is no doubt in my mind that if he wasn't caught in Tony's murder, he would be in the midst of repeating this entire cycle again with some other woman right now. Haley was taken care of by family during the trial and now lives with Barry and his wife. They got custody of her in 2015 and they really love her from an interview that I watched I was tearing up because Barry was just so emotional about her. 
He wanted to adopt her and tells Haley stories about what a kind and special person her mom was. And that is really beautiful to hear. She lost her mom, but to have such a loving family, and the fact that she got away from her dad is just all you could ask for in this type of situation, and I wish her the best. None of this would have ever come to pass if the investigators from Lynn's case saw how suspicious and wrong Harold's story was, and I'm sure Lynn's family is still so heartbroken that police brushed her case off. Because the fact is, if there was a diligent investigation into Harold years ago, he would have never been able to do this to Tony. Harold Henthorne is known and referred to as the Black Widower, and for good reason. His MO was to go after wealthier women, marry them, and then murder them. And afterwards, walk off into the sunset with a life insurance payout. A notable lesson from this and from people like Harold is abusive, controlling, dangerous people often exhibit signs of controlling behavior very early on. It's very charming and grandiose in the beginning, but the manipulation starts very early. So just always be on the lookout for yourself and for others. Until next episode, this is Avery After Dark.